Tips for your very first DJ gig, the process of eliminations when trying to find technical issues, and a lot more. This is the Share the Knowledge Podcast for DJs. For the last 26 years, I've been rocking stages, playing in clubs, and having a lot of fun as a DJ and turntablist. And in that time, I've seen and learned a lot. Now it's time for me to share that knowledge by answering the questions that can help you to become a better DJ. I'm DJ TLM, and this is the Share the Knowledge Podcast for DJs. Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to the Share the Knowledge Podcast for DJs. I'm your host, DJ TLM. This is my Q&A show for DJs. I share my 26 plus years of personal experience as a DJ. I'm a mixtape DJ, radio DJ, tour DJ, club DJ, festival DJ. Uh, I've organized events, you name it. And I just answer a lot of questions that I've received through social media, my Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you name it, and of course, comments on videos on my YouTube channel, DJ TLM TV. So if you've never checked out my video content, make sure you check out youtube.com slash DJ TLM TV. And if you want to check out some of my audio, not just the podcast, because that's posted everywhere, but on my SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash DJ TLM, you can find the podcast episodes, but also free beats, free scratch sounds, and some nice mixes. So that's a little bit of plug-in right there. I have a bunch of questions that I've received through email and I also just finished doing a live stream on Instagram and I received a couple of cool questions from there as well. So I'm gonna address those questions here. And let's start with a question that I received through the live stream and that was from a DJ who was about to do his first gig and he wanted to know if I had any suggestions, any tips, and I have Plenty. Now, the first thing I told that DJ is to be aware and be prepared for the fact that you will make mistakes. I feel this is very important. A lot of DJs overlook this and they're focusing on perfection, which basically is non-achievable, especially for your first gigs. But DJs, young and old, new and veterans, we all make mistakes. So especially if you're gonna do your first gig, you should know that you will make mistakes and that that's perfectly fine. It's how you deal with those mistakes. So if you're prepared, if you know in advance that you're going to make some mistakes and you know that that's okay, then that will not stress you out as much. If you go into that first gig and you're just thinking about nailing that gig, making it a perfect set, everything perfect, perfect delivery, every track is on point, EQ is on point, every transition is flawless. If that's gonna be your mindset, then you're gonna set yourself up for failure because by the time you make that first mistake, and it will happen, if you make that first mistake and you were expecting to do a flawless, perfect set, it's gonna really upset you and that's gonna affect the rest of your set. So you don't want that to happen. Now, of course, you're going in there and you wanna make sure you drop a good set but making a couple of mistakes can still uh, leave you with a great set. I mean, you can watch sets from professional DJs who are actually mixing live, and here and there, you're gonna hear little mistakes. Unless everything was pre-prepared and you name it, 
if they're doing a live set, especially if they're doing a live freestyle set, you're gonna hear small mistakes. It might be a fader that just opens up a little bit too early and then you hear another song, or maybe the transition isn't perfect, so they have to adjust a little bit and then get it right. That is part of the natural mixing process and that's perfectly fine. Look, if you're playing in front of people, they're not there to judge your DJ set. They're there to have a good time, enjoy the music, and playing a great track is gonna have a lot more, uh, leave a better impression and give a better, um, give you better feedback than making a flawless transition. Most of the people don't even know how to recognize that flawless transition, so that is not the most important thing. So be prepared to make mistakes. Now, I'm talking about small mistakes, but even if you do a total train wreck during your transition, even if that happens, know that that is something that can happen and keep it moving, move ahead straight away. So you mix in the second track, somehow you give it a nudge forward when you were supposed to bring it back and now you got snares like totally out of line and it's a mess that can happen just take that old track out let the new track play or take that old track out and try again but just make sure you switch so we don't hear the two tracks anymore the crowd might be shocked for a second and just look at the dj booth for a second but as soon as they hear that tune they'll get back into the music and you're fine. I've heard DJs who just panicked and for over like 20 seconds, you were hearing ka, 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 two snares just totally messing up and then you get the entire crowd looking at it like, what's happening? We can't dance anymore. We're hearing two beats, they're not matched, what's happening? So if you make a major mistake, just switch and keep it moving and focus on the next song. They're there for the music, not for the mixes. So I know that sounds weird, like, hey, you're DJing, you've been practicing all that time, working on your mixing skills, and now I'm telling you that the crowd is not really there for your mixing skills. It's a shame, but it's a fact. People are there, they're having a couple of drinks, uh, they're looking at guys, they're looking at girls, you name it. Uh, they're having a good time, enjoying songs. They're not really focused on your mixing skills. So. Moving on from that, I feel it's very important to make sure you come fully prepared. Now, preparation doesn't mean that you have to prepare your set. That's gonna be different for every DJ. You might be a DJ who likes to prepare an entire set, or you might be a DJ who likes to play freestyle and just bring songs and go off the crowd. Both approaches will work. I'm talking about all of the other preparation. So I'll get back to prepared sets in a minute and freestyle sets, but let's just start with doing research and being prepared for the situation you're gonna jump into. So. What type of venue is it? What type of people will be attending? What type of music are they expecting? Um, so maybe you already know the venue because you've been there yourself, then you're already familiar with what the vibe is, what people like, what people don't like, you name it. If you haven't been to that venue before, you might wanna try and do some research either by calling or approaching people who do play there or who have played there and if you don't know anyone, maybe try to find some footage online to see what the vibe and atmosphere there is. Uh, and if none of that works, you can still even approach like the promoter or the owner and just ask. If you have time, you can go to the venue before you actually have to play like a week or two in advance to check it out. But if that's not possible, 
ask the promoter. So you want to know, does the event have a certain theme? Are they expecting you to play a certain type of music? Uh, what's your time slot? Are you warming up? Are you headlining? Are you closing? All of that information will help you to be prepared for what you're there to do. Now, next step in the preparation is making sure your music is prepared. Again, it doesn't matter if you're preparing your set or playing freestyle. When I say preparing your tracks, I mean analyzing all your files, making sure you got your cue points, loops, everything uh, on point, that the names are correct. If you have extra tags in there, that they're tagged. If you have uh, certain folders, that your folders are on point, that you know where to find everything, you name it. That is all prep. And being prepared, so knowing that all of that is in order, will make it much easier to just focus on having a good time and actually playing the music. So research, preparing your music, knowing what to expect, being prepared to possibly make some mistakes. Next up, you might want to consider if you're playing freestyle to prepare a couple of short mixes, especially your starting point. So maybe the first two or three tracks are actually a prepared mix. So the start of your set is something you can practice. That way you know that the first two or three transitions are gonna be on point. You pick nice tunes that really hopefully will work for what you're there to do and practice so you can do that right. If you do those first couple of mixes correctly, you have nice transitions, that's gonna boost your confidence and help you with the rest of the set. Now, if at any point during your set, you have that little mental block where you just lose it for a second, you just don't have a good idea of what to do next because you're playing freestyle, but somehow you lose it for a minute, if you have a couple of other short prepared mixes, you can just fall back, just do one of those mixes for two, three tracks, and hopefully that will get you back in there. So those are things that could definitely help you out. Um, don't forget to have fun. That's very important as well. Don't forget to have fun. Try not to be too stressed about, like I said, making little mistakes and stuff like that. Try to enjoy the music. Hopefully you became a DJ because you love to play music. And I remember I had nerves during my first gigs, but at the same time, hearing the music I love through these big speakers, that's a great feeling. That really is a great feeling. Now, especially if you uh, uh, throw in a track and you get a reaction from the crowd, that is like the ultimate feeling. That's just dope. So. Um, don't forget to have fun. Um, yeah, those are just a couple of suggestions to make your first gig um, go better. One more thing about preparation. Make sure you are bringing everything you need to bring. Very important. So if you're playing on your controller, for instance, you need to know in advance if they have that controller at the venue. If not, if it is possible for you to bring your controller, what you need to hook your controller up to their setup. You don't want to end up in a situation where you walk in and they have a DJ booth with no room for your equipment or you're expecting them to have certain equipment and then they don't have that, they have something else. So make sure you know what is available at the venue. If it's not what you want to use, make sure that you are able to bring your own stuff and connect it. That is also very important. If you know all of those things and you know everything um, as far as the technical side is okay, then you don't have to worry about that. And again, you can start to focus more on the actual gig, the actual performance. Enjoy your first gig. 
So this next question is actually something I wanted to address quite some time ago. Not the actual question, but what is mentioned in the question, because if you're familiar with my Saturday Super Sessions, those are my giant scratch compilation videos where I invite a lot of people to scratch over a beat I made, and then I take a lot of these videos from people, I put them all together and turn it into one video, and you get this long scratch compilation with DJs from all over the globe, cutting it up on different type of equipment from controllers to CDJs, turntables, you name it. Something I noticed on multiple occasions is DJs with controllers who were scratching using their hand on the wrong side of the platter. So what I mean by that is if you're using a turntable, your hand will be on the left side of the vinyl. So you have to imagine if you place that vinyl on a turntable and uh, you have the middle of the vinyl and you have the left side and the right side. Your hand is on the left side of the vinyl because on the right side there is a needle. So your hand is not on that needle side because you're gonna bump into that tone arm and needle and then you don't have sound anymore and you're probably wrecking your cartridges, your needles, you name it. Um, I see DJs using controllers and they're holding their hand on the right side of that platter instead of the left. Now, what they don't really notice because the platter is not moving is that they're actually going in the wrong direction. If it's moving this way, the vinyl is moving this way and my hand is here, I'm going in the same direction as the record is moving. If your hand is on this side and the record is moving that way and you're gonna scratch like this, you're actually scratching the wrong side. So you're moving it uh, uh, backwards and then forwards. And if you're scratching on this side, you're going forward and backward. Now, I understand if you're listening to the podcast right now, it's a little bit harder because I'm actually illustrating it for the video now. Uh, so make sure you check this out on YouTube. But I've seen them do that. And in my mind, I'm like, wait a minute. They're actually doing it the wrong way around now because they're doing the scratch movement. But when our scratch movement is going forward and backwards, their forward movement is actually backwards on the platter. Now, let me just jump into this question for a sec because this just reminded me of that situation. So this DJ learned to DJ on CDJs and learned how to scratch on uh, CDJ 1000. Now, because the platter did not move, um, he figured out how to scratch on his own. Somehow he started to scratch on the outside of the jog wheel instead of the inside. So that's what I mean when I say left side, right side. Left side is the inside, right side is the outside of that jog wheel. Now I bought the Rain 12 because I wanna start um, different levels and uh, the spinning platter will help with the optics. I'm having a hard time now with scratching the right way. If, scratch, if I scratch the way I did on the CDJ 1000, I would be fighting the record. So yes, you're going in the wrong direction. Do you have any advice and could you help me? I'm really struggling over here. So like I explained, if someone learns on a controller and doesn't realize that they're using the wrong side of the platter, then they're going in the wrong direction. Now, in this case, this DJ switched to a Rain 12, which is a controller, but with a motorized platter. So the platter is moving in that 
right direction. So if your hand is now on the right side, you're now going against that torque of the, 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 the platter. You're going in the wrong direction. So when you're moving your hand up forwards, you're actually going, you're, you're making the platter go in reverse. So um, yes, you didn't notice when you were using a regular controller with a regular jog wheel. Now that you have that motor actually spinning, you're gonna feel that you're going in the wrong direction. Now there's only one thing you can do. You have to start practicing with that hand on the inside, the left side of the jog wheel. That is the only solution. You have to really now get adjusted to moving your hand in that right direction, going with the grain, not against the grain. Let me try to explain it like that. We're going with the rotation, with the revolution of that uh, record instead of going against it. Um, so yes, it sucks because you taught yourself how to do it the wrong way. You now have to unlearn that and learn how to do it the correct way. So uh, look, this happens with all sorts of things. In sports, you see it all the time as well. If people teach themselves how to do certain things, they might actually be teaching themselves uh, the wrong way to uh, perform a certain move. They're not using the right technique to do it. And in some cases it works, but once you get proper training and someone now shows you, no, you're not doing it right, this is how you're supposed to do it, that's gonna be a setback because you have to unlearn and start from scratch. Now, of course, I believe that once you can make that switch in your head and move to the other side of the platter, you'll probably get back to a level pretty soon. I'm not sure, but it's gonna take practice, but it's not gonna be like you're really starting from zero because you already have some scratch experience. So hopefully once you adjust and you get your muscle memory to really learn that new movement, some of the rest of the skills you learned will be able to be incorporated into that. But yes, you will have to start uh, to do a lot of practice. That's the only way uh, this will work out. So good luck, man. It's a struggle, I understand. I feel for you. Um, but you're going to have to put in more work. So if you're watching this or if you're listening to the podcast and you're just learning how to scratch on a controller, make sure you have your hand on the correct side of the platter. So left. And take a look at a turntable. Take a look at a turntable online, a video of a moving platter. See the direction that it's moving in and understand that you're going with that direction, in the same direction and not against it. Uh, hopefully that helps you out if you're just checking this out for the first time. So I wanna talk about the process of elimination and in this case, I wanna utilize that technique to solve issues, technical issues. I'm gonna relate that to a question I received and the question is from a DJ who just started the DJ journey and is having a little problem. Uh, so he bought Serato Scratch Live, the SL1, the Rain SL1, and a turntable and a mixer called the Skytech STM2300. I do not know that mixer. So he connected everything to Serato, just like I mentioned in my YouTube video. And the problem is that the channel faders and crossfader don't work. The volume of the tracks are still the same. Do you know how to fix it? 
So my answer for that question is no, because I do not know the mixer. I'm not seeing the mixer or how you connected everything. So I can't judge what's wrong, but this leads me into what I want to talk about. And that is the process of elimination. When you run into technical issues, so whatever DJ gear you're using, if it's not working the way it should work, you need to think of all the different scenarios that could cause this. So without knowing this situation, because I don't know the mixer, so I don't know part of the equipment, if I was in a situation where I'm connecting all sorts of stuff and I'm not getting it to work correctly, I'm gonna check all of these things and I'm gonna uh, uh, um, eliminate everyone once I tested it. So first off, I would need to make sure that Serato is connected correctly. So are the turntable outputs, the RCAs going into the SL1 inputs? Are the outputs going into the channel in line ends on the mixer? I'm gonna check to see if that's correct. If I see that all of that is connected the right way, then I can just, Mark that one and eliminate that. That is not causing the issue. Okay, so I've connected it correctly. Then I'm gonna check, uh, for instance, to see if the mixer has certain settings that uh, allow you to adjust things on the fader. I've had a mixer once and I had my fader, channel faders all the way up and I was not getting audio and I didn't understand. And then I saw that this mixer had a hamster switch for the channel faders. A hamster switch is a switch that allows you to basically reverse the fader. So in this case, when the channel faders were up, that meant that they were actually off, not giving you volume. And the more you took them down, the more volume you were getting. So in this case, I'm gonna check the mixer. Okay, is this mixer set up correctly? Is it supposed to give me more volume when my faders are up? So maybe I just take a normal piece of vinyl, connect that turntable directly to the mixer and see if the faders on that mixer are now working the way they should work. So when they're up, are they giving me audio? When I bring them down, is now is the volume decreasing now? If it works correctly with like a normal piece of vinyl, then I know that the mixer, that the actual faders on the mixer are not the problem. That's what I mean by when I say process of elimination. Anytime I run into issues, I have to see what the problem is. Now, I can't really elaborate more on this particular situation. Again, like I said, I'm not seeing the setup. I don't know the mixer, but I've been in plenty of situations where I had a gig and I have my equipment set up and something was wrong with the audio. So either I was not getting correct audio or we were not getting audio. Now, in most cases, I was dealing with engineers, especially when you're like going into clubs or doing festivals. Over the years, I noticed a lot of times that the sound people, the sound men, women, engineers, however you want to call them, they would always start their process of elimination with your equipment. So in most cases, they would tell me that it's probably my mixer. Now, in a lot of cases, I just came from a gig where I used the exact same mixer and it was working perfectly. So in my head, it's like, no, that's probably not the issue, but I'm going to check everything. So I'm going to check to see if I've connected all of my equipment correctly. Are the turntables connected to either like back in the days, my SL1 and is that connected to my mixer correctly? Yes, that's all in order. So that should be working fine. 
Is my mixer connected properly? Is it getting the power? Um, the outputs master out? Is it going out? Is my booth out going out the right way? Yes, looks fine. Settings on the faders, check that. Is anything wrong? Is a hamster switch on? Anything happening here? No, perfectly fine. Some mixers have a little like screw knob on the back that allows you to adjust master tempo and uh, tempo master volume. And if that's turned up too much, you get distorted audio. No, that's fine. Uh, I've connected line inputs to the phono input. That's going to mess you up as well. So you're just checking to see all of those things. I would always check. I would see, okay, I've connected everything correctly. That's not the issue. Mixer is perfectly fine. Looking at the turntable. All right. First off, is it my turntable? Was it working last gig? Yes. Then it should be fine. But still, I'm checking. If I'm using the club's turntables, then I'm going to assume that the problem might be there. So I'm going to start with my needles to check and see, okay, is this turntable working correctly and that one not? Then I'm gonna switch the needles and see if we still have the same issue. Now, if I take the needle from the working turntable, put it on the other turntable and the turntable's still not working, then I know that the needle was not the issue because the needles are working on one turntable, not the other. So it's probably something else in the turntable. Could be the tone arm, could be the RCAs from the turntable, but I'm gonna go through that process. If everything there is working fine as well, because I'm hearing in the headphones that the audio is perfectly fine, then we see what happens a lot of times, and that is that the output from my mixer was going into a DI, that's a little box that they use to connect it to their PA system, and a lot of times those boxes will just be broke. Or for instance, they would give me cables that I would use to connect my mixer to their DI box and it would just give me faulty cables. So a lot of times they would blame it on my equipment, but at the end of the day, most likely they would have either a DI box that wasn't working or they used cables that weren't working correctly. But I would go through that process of elimination to make sure that everything is working fine on my end. Now, I just wanted to put that out there because you might end up in situations where you're playing at a venue or whatever and something happens. If it's a place where you don't know the people, a lot of times they'll look at you and assume you're doing something wrong. So you just wanna make sure that you can go through the process of elimination and see if you've done all the things you needed to do correctly. If everything is set up the right way, every set of setting is correct, cables are correct, uh, and if that's the case, then the problem must be somewhere else. USB cables for all you digital DJs out there. Uh, I try to bring two because I've been in a situation where at Amsterdam Dance Event a couple of years ago, I was doing a like, uh, master class for Pioneer and I was using their new turntables and I was using the S9 when it was pretty new and somehow it just would not work. I tried everything, needles, you name it. One of the last things I thought about was, let me just try a different USB cable. And yes, that turned out to be the only issue. Before that, we even tried three different laptops and they all wouldn't work. And at the end of the day, it turned out to be something as simple as a USB cable. So yes, since we're playing digitally, you now have more things to check compared to when I just had a normal turntable and vinyl with like DVS and laptops, you name it, there are more things that could cause an issue. So you have to make sure you know what to look for so you can see if it is actually something on your end that is wrong. So 
keep that in mind and make sure you know your equipment. You know the settings, you know how to connect it, you know how it works. You don't want to be that DJ who comes into to the club with a controller and there's already a bias against controllers in some places and all of a sudden something's not working. Trust me, they're going to be looking at you and they're going to say that you're probably the issue with your controller when most likely you're not even causing the issue. But you need to make sure that you know how to check if your stuff is connected correctly. Um, last tip for the digital DJs. Sometimes you need to make sure you restart your laptop. I've had plenty of gigs where I would have my laptop on at home and I would basically just close the lid, open it back up once I got there and connect everything. And a lot of times it worked, but I've had a couple of occasions where things were not working properly until I just rebooted the laptop. So now I just make sure I shut down the computer before I leave the house and I turn it on when I get there so it starts up fresh. Um, that can make a major difference, especially if you have an older laptop like I do. All right, let me answer this quick question about custom uh, skins for your laptop and custom vinyl. Uh, and let me just start off by saying people learn how to use Google. So that's no disrespect to the DJ, I'm answering the question right now, but I do feel it's important that people really learn how to use the internet because a lot of the questions that I receive here are really easily answered if you go to Google. So in this case, this is a DJ with an NS7 and a MacBook Pro, and he wanted to know some places where he can get like a custom cover for the laptop, with his DJ name, as well as like custom seven inch covers to put on the NS7 vinyl. So in my case, the company that I've used in the past to do uh, my old laptop, my uh, DJM 909 mixer, two of my SL1200 turntables, uh, one is up there. It has like a custom deck plate on top with DJ TLM TV on it. The, the laptop had like a similar pattern as the turntables with my website on it. That was all done at 12inchskins.com, 12inchskins with a Z.com. But if you go to Google, you know what? I'm gonna do that right now in this video. If I go to Google right now and I say custom vinyl, it's gonna give me uh, um, a couple of websites right here to choose. If I'm not seeing anything that sounds like it is what I'm looking for, but I'm seeing some right now, make your own custom vinyl records, custom vinyl records and record pressing, um, one cut vinyl. So in this case, you have some options, but if that's not what you're looking for, then you just add custom vinyl and laptop. See what you're gonna get then. Then it's gonna give you uh, a couple of sites as well. Skin sites, sticker sites, um, and a couple of uh, forum links as well. So it shouldn't be that hard to find a couple of places to, to get that done. Now in my case, because the, the, the question also talked about my customized vinyl, I don't have customized vinyl. I only have custom labels that I put on the vinyl. But I know that 12 inch skins and a couple of other companies also actually make custom vinyl where whatever type of design you have will be put 
inside the vinyl. So then it's not a sticker, then it's the actual vinyl. So that is an option. Now you have an NS7, you can have custom vinyl, but they also have like skins to cover the entire NS7. So even that is an option. Uh, you can do crazy things. I'm still gonna do something with the S9. I'm gonna do something with the Rain 72. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's just gonna be a logo or something else. You can even change the entire color. There's a lot of different things you can do. Um, so yeah, there are a lot of options out there and I know like the company I just named, they can definitely do a lot of that uh, stuff for you. So check that out. But make sure guys that you use the internet to also research for yourself. You might not find the exact company I just named, but you're gonna find some places that I might not even know of yet. Um, but I know where to find that info. And I guess if you go to YouTube, and I didn't check that, I could do that right now. If you go to YouTube, because sometimes YouTube is even a better uh, search engine than Google, because it's gonna give you a little bit different results even though it's the same company. So if you do custom vinyl on YouTube, you might get even different results. How to make your own custom vinyl record. Um, how vinyl is made. Yeah, I see some right here. I don't see 12 inch skins yet, I'll give you that, but I do see a couple different uh, uh, videos that will definitely help you out. And I know I have a video or two on my channel where I actually um, showed some of my custom stuff came, that came from um, 12 inch skins. So that answer became a lot longer than I thought it was gonna be. Uh, sometimes that happens. I'm actually gonna just do custom vinyl on my own. YouTube page, now I wanna know. So yeah, if you would go to DJTLMTV and on my channel, you search for custom vinyl, it will send you to the DJTLMTV custom DJ set by 12 inch skins uh, sneak preview video straight away. How important is scratching? That is a question I received right here and let me just read that question. So I'm a beginner DJ having started a few weeks ago, just in my bedroom for now and I just can't seem to get the hang of scratching. I'm gonna hold right here. You started a couple of weeks ago. People, if you only started a couple of weeks ago, I do not wanna hear you talk about that you cannot get the hang of something. You're basically a brand new fish. You're just starting. Give it time. Find all of the uh, essential information you need online, and you already found me, so you know I have the scratch tutorials. Check them out and practice, practice, practice. I'll get back to the question. No matter how hard I try, even my baby scratch doesn't sound good. I'm gonna stop again. You've been at it for a couple of weeks. I practiced for years and I was practicing, like when I started out, I was practicing probably six to eight hours a day. Any second I could spend to practice my scratching, I was practicing my scratching. So I have a very low level of empathy when it comes to a question from someone who's been at it for a couple of weeks, you need to give that a lot more time. For extra context, I only have a DDJ SB3 controller. Uh, I believe I'm pretty decent at everything else related to mixing. All right, that's pretty impressive in a couple of weeks. So my question was, how important do you consider scratching to be for a DJ? Can a DJ make it without knowing how to scratch? I feel like scratching can definitely make me uh, make the transition and overall DJing sound better if done well. 
but is it just a nice bonus or a necessity? Look, I come from a hip hop background, so scratching was just part of the deal. And it was actually the thing that really attracted me to DJing. Like, yes, let me just put it straight like that. Scratching is what attracted me to DJing. It was not like I was a kid and I saw some guy with turntables blending music and that just blew my mind. Um, no, I didn't have a clue about that type of stuff. Even though when I was very young, I listened to certain mix, uh, mix shows on the radio, I had no idea what mixing was or what they were doing. I just remembered hearing scratches and that is the thing that really caught my attention. So for me, I couldn't imagine a world where I'm DJing and not scratching, even if it's just to scratch in the next record, not even doing like entire long scratch sessions, but even when I'm mixing, I hardly ever bring in a new track without cutting it in. That's my style. I know a lot of people now are just pressing their cue button and bringing it in to each his own. For me, scratching is definitely a part of it, but no. I'm not gonna pretend like everyone needs to know how to scratch in order to become a DJ. That's just not the case. You have world famous DJs out there who cannot scratch to save their life. That's just the fact. Um, so yes, it is something that, it's just really a great addition to your skill set, but it is not the thing that is gonna hold you back from DJing. So continue to practice everything. Even though you said you feel like uh, everything else is pretty decent, if you've only been at it for a couple of weeks, that would be very impressive. But maybe you just have a good grasp of the basics. Now you have to extend and keep on practicing to really master all of those techniques. And at the same time, just continue to practice scratching. Because yes, it is a great addition and it's just a lot of fun. Even if you never use scratches like in your set as like a, a, a showcase type of thing, but even if it's just to be able to scratch in a new song. So um, continue to practice. And yes, you, you, you're gonna have a lot of fun once you start to get the hang of it. So now we have a question about timing, about counting, and this one is a pretty interesting. And the name of the question was, question about the six eight time signature. Um, so when I read that, my first thing was like six, eight. Okay. That's basically the same thing as a three, four time signature. So that's that not really going to get into that much more than that. I'm going to get into the question. And the question from Christian is, I have a question about how to properly count the six, eight time signature. At the moment, I'm struggling to count six, eight as opposed to four, four, which is way easier. I have a hard time finding the exact first beat or the one, and when I do find it, I struggle to maintain that count. Uh, it may just be because the kick and drums are all over the place. The song I found is called J Dilla High, which has that 6-8 intro, which changes to 4-4. Four, four. I'm just having issues with the 6-8. So yes, High from Dilla, from the Donuts album, it has sort of an intro where you hear music playing and that music is playing in that three, four time signature. Uh, problem first off with that song is the beginning, it, it, it kind of fades in. So you're not really hearing a one count. It just basically starts. So there you're already in trouble because you can't really count it from the start. Um, but second, if I remember correctly, it's not like that intro is like a nice, even amount of bars. It's a couple of counts and then 
it just switches to 4-4. But I don't believe that it was like a correct uh, logical switch from that one to the other time signature. So in that case, I don't know if it really makes a lot of sense to try to figure that out. I mean, if you want to, you could really try to memorize that intro so you know exactly when that switch is. But if you get into that 3-4 rhythm and you start to count, you're gonna notice that it's not at a perfect count where that switch in that track comes. Now, if you're listening to this in the podcast and you have no idea what we're talking about, the track that we're talking about is called High by Jay Dilla. And that intro, I'm just gonna bring it up in the background. I don't know if the mic is gonna really be able to catch that um, because I have Spotify right here. That should be easy to, um, to get in there. Let's see. Where's my volume? So you got that. You could do that. One, two, three. One, two, three. Because those snares are all on account. But if you just follow that snare, like right there, you get that switch, but that switch comes right after a snare. Check it out. One more time. Yeah. That is really hard. I mean, it doesn't really help you to understand exactly where that switch is because this is not something you would probably ever mix into another track, especially, like I said, because that count in that intro, that one isn't really there. It fades in and then you hear that first snare. Uh, but basically, you can follow that count once you get into that one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. That's how you hear that bass line going and the snare comes in on that count as well. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't stress that too much because in this case, uh, it's really hard. But you don't really run into a lot of songs that will have that time signature. I never run into those songs except for tracks like this where you have it like in the intro. But I can bet you like most people that play high, if they were to mix it, they would just start from where that 4-4 time signature begins. That's the most logical point to take that track if you're gonna blend it into something else. All right, let's stick with scratching right now and practicing scratching. Like we just talked about, if you've taught yourself certain techniques uh, on the wrong side of a platter, and now you basically have to relearn certain techniques, uh, this is also about practicing. And this is a question, not about which side of the platter, but about which hand you should be using for your platter and for your fader. So. This question comes from a DJ who's been using a Mixtrack Pro 1, then a DDJ SB3, then an SX2, and now this DJ wants to get into scratching. I was practicing all this time with my left hand doing baby scratches and sometimes practicing chirps and cut scratches, operating the crossfader with my right hand. I was looking closer at some scratching videos on YouTube and I noticed they were scratching with their right hand. I'm right-handed, so it makes sense why I was having such a hard time keeping on beat when baby scratching with my left. Am I correct that I should lead, or sorry, should learn to scratch with my right hand and use my left hand for the crossfader first? I would imagine it's like basketball where once you're a real pro, you can use right or your left. 
but for a right-handed guy, which hand should I start with on the jog and which on the fader? Uh, so for me, um, and I know this is different for every DJ, I don't even remember how I started and I'm assuming I started with my right hand on the platter because I'm right-handed. That's probably my first logical uh, uh, move, just to use my right hand to grab that vinyl. Uh, but when it comes to scratching, I do certain scratches on the right side. So right hand on the platter, left hand on the fader. So when I'm doing babies, chirps, some flares, uh, uh, cutting with the, uh, the, the channel fader, right hand on the platter but when it comes to a couple different scratches especially my transformer my right hand is on the uh on the fader and my left hand is on the platter so my transform is horrible if i have my right hand on the platter and i'm using my left hand for uh the fader i guess that's because my right hand is my good hand so i can do better fast moves for the transformer with that side but crazy enough my flares i'm doing those with the left hand on the fader so i can't really explain that that came naturally but i know it is one of my flaws i still need to learn the techniques i can do on the right side to learn how to do them on the left side and the techniques I'm doing on the left side, I have to learn how to do them on the right side. So yes, I have my work cut out for me when it comes to that. And you mentioned basketball. Now I've played basketball for 10 years and even though a lot of guys on the team were right, since day one, they had us doing layups with right hand and left hand. Rule was if you're coming in on the right side and you're using the right side of the board, you're using your right hand. If you're coming in from the left and using the left side of the board, you were using your left hand. And a lot of people struggled more with that left side, but that's exactly why you had to train it. I'm going through the same thing right now when I'm coaching and training football for my oldest son. So I'm talking our football, what the U.S. peeps would call soccer football. A lot of the kids on the team, most kids are right-handed and they, their right leg, right foot is also their strong foot. I, have, I think we have two people who, have like, who are left-handed and left is their strong side. So most of the times when the kids get the ball, they want to do everything with their right. So now we're having to try to push them to do a lot more with their left during practice to get accustomed to also using that leg but it's a natural thing you're most likely going to go to that dominant hand to that strong hand so for djs as well and i know a lot of djs who do everything on one side and then you have the ambidextrous aliens like hubert who do everything on every fader if you're doing it on the left side and it's more comfortable for you even though you're right-handed then go ahead but if you're saying right now that you're having a hard time with it on that side switch it over try it on the other side first see if the left side maybe or the right side sorry works better for you wow this chair is really killing me right now yeah all right whatever i digress um so yeah try both sides and if one side feels more comfortable most likely it's going to be that right side um but it doesn't mean you have to do anything just choose what side works for you
All right, so that's where I'm going to end the Share the Knowledge podcast for DJs. Make sure you check me out anywhere online. The handle is DJTLM on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you name it. Check out my YouTube channel, DJTLM TV, and uh, I'll be back next week. If you want to ask me questions, check me out, share the knowledge at DJTLM.com, or just leave a comment or send me a DM anywhere.